Big Thinking, celebrating 175 years of Bradley College with fascinating speakers from our community. So a good evening and a warm welcome to the Big Thinking Talks, a series of TED-style talks developed as part of Bradley's year of celebrations of our 175th birthday. Uh, thanks so much, Caroline, and welcome, everybody. It's lovely to have you here this evening. And obviously, it's part of our 175 year. And, and I guess when we celebrate uh, 175 years, the temptation is to go backwards, to look at what's happened over those 175 years. And of course, that's important, and that's what we'll do in a whole variety of events uh, over the coming year. But we also think it's important as we look back on 175 years to look forward. And as we thought about how we might do that, this idea came up, and, and, and thanks to Caroline for it, uh, of having a series of lectures uh, which we are entitling Big Thinking. Uh, of course, you'd expect a school to be about thinking. I hope we're thinking uh, every day. But there are two particular aspects of thinking uh, that I want to emphasise as we start. Uh, the first is thinking together. Uh, and it's great to have uh, various representations of the Radleyan community here this evening. It's important uh, over the next few months that we'll see in these talks. They'll be led by Dons, by boys, uh, by uh, ORs, by parents. And it's great to welcome the whole community uh, in representation here this evening. So thinking together is important, uh, but also thinking forward. Uh, we want to plan for the future. We want to think about new ideas. We want to challenge ourselves, challenge each other uh, as we think. And so big thinking is about big ideas and it's about planning ahead, uh, thinking about what the challenges might be for us uh, and indeed for the boys uh, as we go forward into the future. So lots of exciting uh, topics uh, this evening. I won't uh, introduce Spig, I'll leave that to Caroline, but it's very appropriate that we start the, uh, the Big Thinking series uh, with the Don uh, and talking about academic things. So thank you for joining us. Do join us for the other talks uh, as they happen during the year uh, as part of our 175 celebrations, uh, our Big Thinking talks. Uh, start now. Back to Caroline. Thank you. So as John said, the aim is to inspire and challenge with these talks and to encourage us all to reflect on our future world, exploring topics like technology, sustainability, education, the world of work and much more. Our speakers have been asked to share their most authentic thoughts on whatever they feel most strongly about. So prepare for the unexpected. I would like to introduce Simon Barlas, a well-known figure to many as a Don at Radley for over 30 years. Simon teaches languages, but he's also responsible for coordinating teaching and learning at the college. Today, he will be talking about the trends and traditions in the classroom, how Radley teaching is evolving, and most importantly, how we ensure that what we teach remains relevant in such a fast-changing world. Simon. Thank you, everybody, um, and welcome. Thank you very much uh, for taking the time to uh, sign up, tune in. Um, hopefully you won't nod off as I ramble on. And before I run out of prepositions, <laughs> I will just explain uh, my talk I called Teaching Now and Then. I started at Radley in 1992. Um, so uh, I have a certain degree of perspective. Um, and the now and then looks at that issue, but also busy teachers uh, in boarding schools don't just teach. Um, but I think we have an advantage because other teachers in uh, different types of schools may um, consider themselves uh, uh, garlanded uh, uh, with generously proportioned weekends. But I think uh, the fact that we spend so much time with the boys in the school is a huge advantage, especially for things that happen in, in the classroom. Um, learning is a mysterious business. Um, uh, a lot of it is hidden or invisible. Um, how we cross that space between knowing and not knowing um, is, is, is difficult. 
Um, and, and when I started at Radley, there, there were some, most of the, the teachers uh, were outstanding uh, experts, virtuosos, uh, but perhaps what didn't happen so much was, was, was sharing of uh, pedagogical information. Uh, certain uh, classes were, were perhaps privatized. Um, and the, the aim of what I tried to do is to try and liberate that. And, and there are lots of um, support mechanisms that have grown up over the last uh, few years, while certainly while I've been teaching, and um, here are a few of them now. The Educational Endowment Foundation kicked off in 2011, set up by the, the Sutton Trust. There is now a chartered college of teaching. If you want an accountant, you would like a chartered accountant. Now, teachers can be chartered in the same way. That was set up in 2017. There's Teach First and Now Teach. Um, some of you may well have read Lucy Kelway's book on uh, Now Teach. Um, and there are skit uh, programs. And of course, there is uh, Twitter. Um, what I thought I would try and look at is, is what, what has come uh, and what has stayed. Uh, and the first speaker that I remember was at, um, was at Beedales. Um, and this was Sir Michael Wilshaw. Um, he uh, was Her Majesty's Chief Inspector of Schools. Um, and I think this is possibly a bit of a theme for most of the talks uh, that, I, that I've been to. It, you, you go out of Radley to hear people talk. And what you find is that someone has articulated what you already know. Um, you have a hunch that what's going on in the school is excellent, but it's, it's good to go outside and hear it um, be kind of affirmed. Um, in his talk, uh, Sir Michael um, stated that he remains agnostic on, on, on teaching styles. Um, Ofsted was not interested in prescribing a teacher's style, but the message that he delivered was that um, calculated oddity laced with a, a sense of optimism was recommended. Um, a colleague of mine, while preparing for this talk, called it scholarship with silliness, uh, learning with levity, personality in the classroom, the ability for a teacher to flick from harmless horseplay to meaningful academic horsepower inside a lesson. And I, I hope that some of the ORs who may well be on this call now recognize that, remember it, even cherish it. Yesterday, I was lucky enough to be in the chapel and um, uh, Richard Morgan's uh, fantastic eulogy uh, was uh, offered an excellent insight into his capacity as a teacher. He, he, he was warden, for those who don't know, for, for nine years, but the word unconventional was used about uh, Richard Morgan. And I strongly believe that some element of unconventionality is uh, a, a fantastic asset, uh, a trump card for, for, for a teacher, and, and it happens here. Um, the next speaker that I uh, recommend, and is also a bit of a hero, is Dylan William. He, um, in videos or in, in talks, when you hear Dylan speak, um, he has a very pithy way of encapsulating and challenging certain aspects of the classroom. Uh, I remember a talk where he talked about hands up in the classroom. You can see at the bottom of my hand corner of my slide. Um, he calls hands up in the classroom the educational Matthew effect, quoting from the Bible, for, for the one who has will be given more uh, and he will have more than enough. But the one who does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. It, it is interesting to consider the role of hands up in the classroom. Uh, the people who knows the answer will draw the teacher's attention. 
especially when you're being observed, there is a certain amount of pressure on showing that your teacher has an impact. And we'll, we'll look at that word perhaps a little bit later on. Um, and he, in, in, in thoughtful ways, suggests that teachers should consider the hands up and suggests that when you look on websites at schools there, that they are filled with pictures like that of, of, of pupils having their hands up. Um, and these are things that we have discussed in the school in teaching and learning clinics, in learning lunches. Um, these are events that we uh, sprinkle throughout the terms and throughout the school year. And uh, one of the most exciting things about those is that the dons have conversations with each other. They um, they tackle that issue of the privatization of pedagogy teaching and conversations crop up. When I, when I first arrived here in the dining hall uh, in common room, conversations were often about sport, uh, often about drama, the, the boys on the stage. They were rarely about teaching. Um, and I think that is gradually changing. And, and one exciting element is uh, since the introduction of academic prefects, we also now have pupil voice. Uh, six boys are selected from uh, year 13, six twos, and they are uh, they meet with me and Steve Rathburn, the academic director, once a week. Uh, and we talk about issues across the school, academic issues, and they often present, uh, they talk to dons, uh, and they join in with these events. Um, I'll talk very briefly about Ken Robinson's uh, much viewed video. You can see his, his views in the bottom right hand corner there. Um, this is, this is an, a, an old uh, video, but in 2015, he was interviewed on Radio 4 with Sarah Montague, part of the Educators series. And again, he articulated something um, that I think I recognize. He said that he would create an education system that is sensitive to the differences in personal talent and ability that can accommodate and respect the professional capacities and skills of the teacher to understand and exercise discretion. Those words chimed with me when I listened to the interview because I think the great strength of this school um, is that there is trust in the teaching body. And I, have been free in my 30 years at Radley, as long as I deliver results, because obviously those are important, but to use my own discretion. I find that empowering, and that certainly has been a contributing factor to why I'm still here uh, 30 years uh, later. So thank you to Sir Ken for articulating those thoughts. Um, now, this, this, this man is a, a serious big thinker. He is edu-famous and edutaining, and his... Significant contribution to the educational landscape is um, something he calls effect sizes. Um, uh, you can see uh, uh, in the image on, uh, on the left-hand side of the screen that um, these are ranked. Uh, what is an effect size? Well, uh, six decades of research, uh, over 300 million students. The jargon term here is uh, meta-analysis. Um, he has tried to... Um, quantify the efficacy of what goes on in the classroom. And he's produced a league table of those effects, those interventions. Um, it's not what works, it's what works best. Uh, so an effect size is typically associated with advancing learning by one year. This, you could equate this, he, he also says, to, to, to a two grade leap uh, at GCSE from a, from a grade four to a grade six in the new grading system. Um, teacher expertise 
makes the biggest difference in a school. Um, and top of that ranking is this term, and it's, it's got a bit of jargon in it. Um, John, who, who gave me this job, warned me about jargon when I started. And um, uh, teaching websites are full of words like intervention, metacognition, uh, criterion reference, uh, testing, um, formative and summative assessment. Um, and uh, I remember going to an Osiris conference uh, where we were urged to avoid educational jargon such as metacognition awareness. Instead, said the speaker, try to focus on promoting epistemic apprenticeship. Um, the, 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 the collective teacher efficacy, what does that mean? It, it, it means, and I, I explained this term about um, an hour ago to some boys in uh, year 13, 62, who are trying to hand on the baton of uh, uh, a French grammar exercise that they have been involved in. Um, and I think that exercise is evidence of this idea. Teachers working together with their pupils, convincing and persuading each other that they can make a difference. Um, Fandalou, I'll just give a quick plug for this, as an example of uh, not only partnerships um, uh, featuring heavily now in, in, in Radi Life with the boys, bringing the boys outside, uh, but also collaboration. The boys involved um, set up a, a series of 10 um, uh, cycles of teaching French grammar to uh, children in, in, in local schools. They designed it themselves, they operated it themselves, they ran it on Zoom. And it, it, um, it was wonderful to watch. Uh, and tonight their mission was to pass that baton on. Uh, controversially, um, John Hattie's effect sizes um, suggest that uh, everything has an impact, but uh, a lot of debate <laughs> came out of, for example, uh, homework in primary schools has an effect size of zero. <laughs> this, he suggests, does not mean that you should stop doing homework in primary schools. It, it, it means that perhaps over the range of evidence, um, it needs to improve. Um, for me as a teacher, uh, my takeaway uh, uh, impact of John Hattie on what I do in the classroom, and I know because we've discussed this again, teaching and learning events and learning lunches, um, are three words. And again, he has a, he has a way of summarising things um, niftily. The skill, the will, and the thrill. Um, these are three things that teachers can think about before they go into the classroom. Uh, and this has been discussed with Bradley Don. Skill is prior learning. What do the pupils know before they come into the classroom? The will is their dispositions towards that learning, their emotional resilience, their cognitive uh, thinking capabilities, their strategic awareness, and their social interaction, their ability to interact with each other. That's the skill and the will. And then the thrill are the motivational strategies, um, success criteria. Are they aware of um, uh, assessment standards? Um, again, I was, I was chatting to, to Matt, who you'll see in a minute, who's sitting next to me. Um, when we were at school in the 80s, um, teachers did not show us mark schemes for examinations um, we were we were not really guided in that way and i'm not suggesting that teaching at radley is all about the exam but i think uh, assessment criteria are important uh, and um, so does john hattie so um, uh, the, the, the carol dweck uh, is a much talked about uh, educational researcher and growth mindset um, exploded onto the scene perhaps uh, 10 15 years ago uh, in a nutshell, um, her research 
suggests that success is not about genetic providence. It's about what we make of what we have. It's not how clever you are. It's how you are clever. Um, Hard work beats talent if talent doesn't work hard. Uh, Again, a nifty formula to explain uh, some interesting research. It's not the ability, it's the attitude towards the ability. Um, And that quote from John Hattie uh, explains that a little bit further on the bottom left-hand side. Again, going to hear Carol Dweck and watching her lectures uh, on the internet begs the question, what are we doing about that here at Radley? Um, My view on that is that growth mindset is a a philosophy, it's not an intervention. Mistakes have been made using growth mindset. If you constantly bang on about growth mindset, it becomes a fixed mindset, which is obviously the the, the thing you would like to avoid. And um, I'm, I'm going to name check David Cresswell, who, who, who's no longer at, uh, at Radley. But um, I remember a social prayers, which is a, a great institution at Radley and increasingly used uh, uh, in certain areas for, for, for promoting um, teaching and learning values and sporting values, and they're very connected. David was a head of German, but also a very sporty Don, involved in lots of different sports, tennis, hockey, etc. Um, and I, I think this slide had a lot of impact the more I teach, the more I think that talent is a dangerous word. It suggests uh, some inherent quality that doesn't need to be exercised or rehearsed. Um, and the, the 10 uh, elements, and this is particularly relevant, I think, for, for, not for our highest flyers, for boys uh, of a middle range ability to, to, to be reminded that they can make just as much progress by working hard by showing passion, by turning up on time, and by displaying the the correct dispositions is an important message um, to hear. Um, The biggest thinker um, I'm going to talk about uh, is a man called Gert Biester. Um, He cautions in his very interesting talks about two things. The first is learnification. Um, In his lecture, uh, he suggests that increasingly in the new educational order, classrooms have become learning spaces. Teachers have become learning facilitators. Uh, When two primary schools in Sheffield combined, they decided that their new name would be Watercliffe Meadow, a place for learning. The term school had been deemed loaded with too many um, negative connotations for both parents and children. So we're observing a move away from instruction towards learning. Um, In in this process, teachers become process managers. You can have communities of learners, but ultimately, and I think this is relevant, especially after lockdown, um, it's up to individuals. Um, The point of education, Gert, suggest um, is never that students learn but that they learn something for a particular reason and that they learn it from someone is learning from and being taught by the same idea he says no Um, learning from suggests the teacher is a resource uh, on a level playing field with a book or or the internet In learning from, the pupil, the learner, is in control both of what they learn and with the engagement in the learning. 
Um, in being taught by, he suggests, something enters our field of experience. Uh, the expression that really taught me a lesson helps to put this into perspective. It learned from the student is in a position of, of, of mastery in charge. In being taught by, the student is more humbly in a position or a capacity for receptivity, even gratitude. Um, in, in taught by, something comes from the outside uh, that is not a projection of the student's own mind or thinking. It's something that is other, and it's something that offers resistance. Um, I watched my colleague sitting next to me today, Matt Walker, excellent Dr. Walker, teaching critical thinking to a shell set. They were very bright boys. Those boys would have been more than capable of learning the content on Dr. Walker's excellent slides. But his presence in that classroom, his role as teacher, <clears throat> shaped, nudged, corrected, redirected, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the thinking of the boys. And Gert Biester, <clears throat> and, and to a certain extent, I think that that is really important. Oh, there he is, sorry, I forgot to show him. Uh, excuse me, I'll just have a sip of water. Um, in uh, Biester's vision of <clears throat> education, there are three areas, interlinking areas, qualification, uh, qualification is, is, is um, skill and knowledge, um, exploring what we know, understanding, making sense of what we know, and fostering skill. <clears throat> Socialization is fairly <laughs> self-explanatory, but um, um, encouraging respect, reciprocity, um, uh, empowering uh, national, regional, global citizenship, uh, celebrating culture, and then subjectification, which we could also call emancipation. Um, this is autonomy, empowerment. So socialization is getting used to society. Subjectification is learning to see it through a critical lens, learning that if you don't stand for, and if you don't stand for something, you can probably fall for anything. The next thing that he says, and, and this is the, the complicated economic argument, is that um, we live in an age where there's a wide-held belief that um, economic survival is synonymous with economic growth. Um, money used to be made through space, collaboration, uh, uh, sorry, through, through creating goods and selling them in different places. The global market has, to a certain extent, arrested that process. So we started to look at making money through time. Uh, um, stocks and shares could be sold with a minute or a second's advantage to create money. Um, again, computers and the simultaneity of the world have arrested that process to a certain extent. Beaster's argument is that Apple has been very shrewd in creating a new market. Apple don't sell us phones. They sell us the desire to have a new phone. His argument is that modern life is moving towards a shopping paradigm based on desire and gratification. In education, this desire can translate into student-centered learning, child-focused learning, teachers as facilitators, students as customers, with students uh, filling out student satisfaction surveys. Beaster calls this an ego-logical approach, and he says it's flawed. It creates an inflexible feeling 
uh, in, in the student. The urge to buy can anaesthetize the ability to reflect. Education has a responsibility to put our desires into perspective. In his work, he quotes uh, Philippe Merieux, and um, a talk from me would, would not be complete without a French quote. Um, I think I saw some ORs on the, uh, on the list of uh, participants today. Uh, hopefully they will be able to translate. But um, in, in a nutshell, uh, this excellent man, Merieux, and again, lots of really good talks available on the internet from him, is that the teaching's responsibility is to liberate the child from their whims and their desires, to, to give them a collective responsibility, a responsibility to behave in the world in a grown-up way, to be in the world, but not to feel that they are the centre of the world. How do, we, how do we make a school a better place? How does any of this information about teaching and learning play a part in a school like Radley? Well, if um, the teaching here and the learning here was not good, we might need to develop a plantation. Um, you can improve standards by uh, making everybody do the same thing, put things in rows, make, make the learning the same, consistency across the board. The problem with that is it takes away the personality that I mentioned at the beginning that I firmly believe is important and that I'm really grateful to this school for allowing me to exercise and I see it in my colleagues. So I think the solution um, to continue the um, horticultural uh, metaphor is, is a rainforest where there is um, uh, an ability to develop in different ways, but in, in a much more natural, um, a natural way. Um, I have, over the last six, seven years, and throughout my career, greatly enjoyed thinking of how teaching and learning work, how they work together. And um, I hope that you have enjoyed some of those insights. And I think that I probably... Uh, delivered my 20 minutes. So at this point, uh, I'm relying on my colleague here, Dr. Walker, who, Dr. Walker, who's going to appear in the screen. To... So it's slightly small at the moment, and I can align myself a little bit. Uh, good evening, uh, everyone. Uh, thank you, Simon, for a very interesting and thought-provoking uh, talk. Uh, you suggested I might nod off at the beginning, but I rarely... <laughs> I see, uh, I'm, still not, I'm still awake. I'd rarely nod off uh, in, in your presence. So here we are celebrating... 175 years of Radley College. You've been here for 30 of those. Most of those. Yeah. Most of yeah. those. <laughs> um, I just want just some reflection on what you think are the sort of tried and tested sort of aspects of teaching um, that are uh, probably here to stay. Uh, been there through all the years you've been here. Great. Yeah. Um, so uh, I've unsurprisingly <laughs> gone around and asked Don's because these are not my views and I'd like to stress again how grateful I am to the Don's that I've spoken to and the boys but um, one example um, treating the kids with respect and dignity every lesson every day regardless of how you feel I think that is a teacher's responsibility uh, the, the best thing about teaching is that it matters uh, one of the most challenging things about teachers is that teaching is that it matters every day. Um, and I think what we do here in this holistic uh, boarding, uh, pastoral, sporting uh, and uh, pedagogical environment is that we spend time, we give time to the boys and the dons are still doing that in spades. Um, one don's answer was the boys sit in rows facing the front in the classroom. Uh, and that might sound uh, very old-fashioned, but 
uh, again, dons are free to uh, orchestrate and choreograph their lessons mm. in, in their own way. Uh, one don suggested booklets, minimizing ambiguity, coordinating content, paper copies. Um, other dons are uh, fast and furiously uh, engaging with the iPads um, and um, the Q&A idea of lessons starting with questions and answers. On the, on, on the flip side of that, the, the new and perhaps here to stay rather than the tried and tested, um, excuse me, um, neuroscience creeping in to lessons. Again, evidence of that um, in the classroom. Um, I've seen five different dons teaching this week and in a geography lesson, in an economics lesson, the first five minutes uh, uh, in geography, they use something called retrieval roulette. Um, uh, boys encouraged to recall what they learned and uh, go through that process at the start of every lesson. One boy even quoting the Ebbinghaus forgetfulness curve, which is part of the kind of science behind why retrieval is so important. Yes. Thank you. I, uh, I forgot to mention to everybody, please do put questions uh, into the chat room. Uh, we have... Uh, we've got something in here. Ah, okay. Uh, Elizabeth has kicked us off. Uh, can you tell us about your most inspirational teacher and how you use that influence in your <laughs> practice today? Yeah. Um, this, I, I'm going to just flip that question because I, I, I've been very lucky in my life to, to, to have been taught by some great people. But I think, uh, and I, a lot of teachers say this, is I, I did have a bad teacher. And uh, I, I think that sometimes uh, it's easier to base what you do on not making the mistakes that you felt so keenly. Um, it's a bit like uh, certain mem memories, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's, it's the words that hurt you that you remember. Um, and I think in teaching, it's the moments that jar, not the moments that gel that you remember. And I remember perhaps not being taught very well by a certain teacher um, and uh, that, that those uh, kind of behaviours and those attitudes in the classroom w were, were not helpful. What about, what about you, Matt? Do you know, I thought you might ask me that. I was sort of rifling through my history of teachers and struggling to find that inspiration. Um, and, and like you, a lot of us will remember, I think, the teachers who perhaps weren't, you know, weren't so great sometimes, isn't it? And we try and avoid... Those errors as yeah. teachers, maybe. yeah. Again, I, I think it's the the, the teachers who um, who who give you confidence, perhaps not uh, explicitly. Uh, you know, be confident is, is not a helpful instruction, but by showing you that you are capable of doing more than you thought you were able to do. And it was something we spoke about today, wasn't there, about the, the that relationship between teacher and pupil, and trying as much as possible to treat your students with respect and on a, on a level as you treat adults. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would remember about certain teachers. Yes. And, I, and again, I saw that. I, I see that in lessons uh, across the college. Uh, gentle correction of behaviour, but, but um, again, not treating the pupils as children, so to speak, in the lessons, treating them as grown-up academics and expecting them to behave in the same way. Thank you. Uh, some questions coming in uh, quickly now. This is a nice, challenging question. You're up for a challenging question, Mr. Barnes. Uh, Will S., uh, how does a school like Radley avoid groupthink in its teachers and students? 
Mm. We try not to speak in unison. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think? think that. Um, yeah. I, th I think there are so many different characters, uh, um, and I, I think that um, we uh, operate in different departments, so many different areas of stimulation, um, and different experiences that go on. Uh, that I, I, I mean, I just don't recognise that as a trend happening no. in the school. There's two um, aspects because, in terms of the DOMS, we're sort of going through the observation cycle. Yeah, at the moment, is it worth yeah. mentioning that? that, that so that that's a, a process where um, dons sign up to form a triad, and they uh, agree to two dons will watch one don, then the other two remaining will watch each other, and so on across the group of three. This is something that is certainly didn't happen when I first arrived. The, the sanctum sanctorum of, of the Don's classroom was a very private space. A head of department might watch the lesson, but other Don's from different departments not happening. So that, that cross-fertilizes departments, but I don't think it leads to everybody doing the same thing in the same way in the plantation uh, groupthink mm -hmm. method. Um, it's highly stimulating. It's free, continuous professional development, CPD to use the, the, the jargon. I could... Uh, use a certain amount of money, take a day off my teaching, go to London and be, be, be talked at by somebody about some element of pedagogy. Um, but uh, stepping into uh, Harry Crump, who I see is on the call now, watching him uh, teach the other day in the English department and then watching Dr. Walker today is, uh, can be infinitely more stimulating. So that is a program of uh, mutual observation going on uh, across, across the common room that um, uh, helps uh, teachers get new ideas all the time, keep the teaching fresh. Thank you. Uh, yeah, they're still coming thick and fast. Um, uh, ah, a name I recognise on there. Uh, Gareth Hughes, uh, nice to see you. Um, Simon, thanks for this uh, a really insightful talk. And uh, so with a, the raft of research into different teaching approaches, what, what role do you think didactic teaching has to play in yeah. excellent practice? Yeah. Uh, um, so Daisy Christodoulou in her um, challenge of the orthodoxy book, uh, The Seven Myths of Education, she, she makes reference to um, Ofsted reports that criticise that blend of uh, either sage on the stage or guide on the side. Um, I suppose didactic teaching would be sage on the stage. The more I watched lessons, the more I realized that um, uh, prescription is very difficult. You, 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 you can't really measure out uh, classroom tactics in the same subject, in diff across different subjects. And uh, didactic teaching has a place. Uh, in, in, I'm a languages teacher, and I think that blend of skill and knowledge is an essential part in a language lesson. But in other subjects, I think the boys need to develop their schema of knowledge, uh, and you need to build up a very strong foundation of factual knowledge before you can manipulate the subject, perhaps with uh, a great deal of success. So. Yes, it, it, uh, there is a role for didactic teaching, and it can be fabulous to, 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 to see uh, a virtuoso teacher own a classroom and stimulate and entertain and um, uh, uh, kind of transfer knowledge uh, to, to, a, to a classroom of boys. It's a wonderful thing to watch, and I would certainly hate for that to disappear. 
Thank you. Um, a question here from John Goldsmith, which ties in sort of our conversations, and, and I think with quite a lot of what's going on in the college with partnerships. Um, just he very much enjoyed the big picture, but just wondered. Um, Radley obviously supports a lot of what you're talking about here and some of those positive and the, and the thinkers that you, you refer to, the, the college is very good at supporting that. Um, how would that translate or does it translate less well, say, in the state sector who educate the vast majority of the next children? What's the connection there? Well, uh, uh, the, I mean, any of the conferences that I've attended, there certainly have been a, a strong uh, grant-maintained uh, presence. Uh, most of the material is available. Uh, is that what I understand the, the question? That, that you know, how, how do how do state state school teachers access this kind of information? Uh, I guess so. I guess we we're quite lucky here, and so we have oh, yeah. the time and the space and the resources to mm. deliver the vision mm. that you've outlined. How? Well, and I was thinking uh, maybe with partnerships. Yeah. Okay, so through partnerships, we have a partnership with Broadway Academy in Birmingham, and um, uh, uh, Rahim, whose name's on my uh, board, he's the uh, teaching and learning guy there. They have a very impressive. Um, CPD program. They have um, perhaps where uh, a non-boarding school has an advantage over a, over a boarding school is that they have things called uh, twilight sessions. Um, unfortunately, the sun never seems to set on a Radley day. There is no such thing as a, twi a twilight session. But um, they 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 have uh, sessions at the end of a school day where compulsory CPD will take place and knowledge uh, uh, will will be shared and distributed uh, across the common room. Um, um, that's how how I think they they do. But I know that that is very uh, active at, at Broadway. Uh, our other partnership is with Desborough, and certainly any time there is an event that we hold, um, those partnerships schools through John Sparks are invited. We've had um, uh, attendees from all of our partnership schools at uh, uh, learning lunches and even teaching and learning clinics. So. Uh, Radley is, is is not a kind of bastion of uh, secluded fortress of that information. We do uh, and uh, try and share as much as possible with our partner schools. Mm. Thank you. There's a question here from uh, Camilla Collis. Thank you. Actually, it links in with something we were sort of wanting to talk about with technology. Mm. So we've got the shells now all up and running with iPads and actually the removes in the previous year. I mean, my question, I was going to ask you about lockdown and the impact and, of that on teaching and learning. So we, we could factor that in. But here the question sort of adds that issues of technology, iPads, iPhones, social media, and the problems through that side of technology. And how do we and how do you envisage how we sort of balance out the cost benefit of that? Yeah. Um, I mean, there are very obvious advantages of technology. I, I'm in a classroom at the moment, uh, looking at a screen, uh, seeing an iPad with a projector, the advances in technology make the classrooms now pretty unrecognizable from, from the 1990s even. Um, uh, things like Teams. Uh, I remember arriving at Radley, I think it was very cool that we had an internal telephone system. You could make free calls to your colleagues across the campus. Now with Teams, you can make a video call. Um, the, uh, the filing cabinet capacities of, of Teams uh, means that uh, 
uh, my entire syllabus can be made available to the boys uh, in a place where they can't lose it, whereas before it might have gone into uh, a, a, a lever arch folder and uh, may well have been left somewhere and then eventually lost uh, a few days before the exam. Um, uh, the, 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 the capabilities of um, uh, computers, uh, iPads um, are enormous and the boys are, what, what I think is exciting about them is that not everybody uses them all in the same way. And I think, again, this is something preparing uh, our boys for the, for the future. Um, there isn't always a standardized approach. And I, I don't mean that in an unhelpful way. I, I think of it as in a helpful way. They may go from a lesson in one department where everything is done on uh, an iPad or uh, on Teams or on the excellent OneNote. Um, and then they may go to another lesson where uh, there's a slightly more analog approach and they, they learn to be nimble and to adapt while also being guided in best practice uh, for, for, for online. And obviously some of this is pastoral um, and there are rules in the pastoral environment about access to mobile phones. Um, and, and yes, it's, it's, it's a worry, perhaps too much time spent, but, uh, but, but obviously in form mastering sessions, uh, boys are given lots of advice um, in, in all the year groups on um, how to use uh, screens wisely and screen, uh, you know, screen time. Um, in, in my particular role, uh, apps like Forest have become very popular for revision. Um, and uh, we've had boys presenting to other year groups about their shortcomings uh, about weapons of mass distraction, as they are sometimes uh, known, um, and, and what strategies that they have developed to use the uh, appliances wisely, but then learn how to not be distracted when they are trying to revise or prepare for work or do prep. Thank you, Simon. Uh, please do keep the questions coming. There's lots already here. I'm going to put two questions together. Uh, for uh, one from Henry, and which is the question is, what is the most important piece of advice you would give to someone new to teaching? But I want to throw in another point, which is about advice you would give Dons to teach and include boys who are reluctant learners and have low esteem. So, advice to new uh, teachers and then dealing with uh, reluctant learners and low esteem learners. Yeah, new teachers. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I, I go back to the will, um, the, 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 the skill and the thrill. I would remember that. Uh, I would remember that there are uh, no ironclad solutions to how do you teach. I would um, uh, remind them that the, 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 the joy of being a teacher, the constantly shifting opportunities. Um, uh, 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 what was the second part of the question? It's, how, how would we include reluctant learners and mm -hmm. encourage reluctant learners yeah. and those with low esteem to participate? Yeah, I think that skilled classroom practitioners are able to instill in a boy or a girl who, who, who has found their subject dif difficult, a sense of achievement, a sense of progress, a sense of trajectory um, within a lesson and across lessons. Uh, I, I teach a group at the moment who, who don't find French easy um, and you can come in with high expectations. It's that challenge of, 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 again, the teacher needs to be as nimble as the people moving from perhaps teaching a very able set to a less able set and adapting to, to, to the pupils, keep it challenging. So I think it's um, high challenge, low threat. 
the sanctions or consequences of mistakes, which are fundamental building blocks in the learning process, should not be so severe that they cause retreat or regression. Um, and, and, and it's complicated because people are, are, are complicated and pupils are complicated and they all have personalities and they need to be respected within the, within the limits of the expectations of the classroom. Thank you. Well, we're nearing the end of the Q&A, I think. So I, can I end with yeah, one more story? And again, I have a captive audience, but um, character, um, I, I was going to talk about Angela Duckworth and grit. Um, I decided not to, but uh, she has some, a very interesting TED talk that lasts about 12 minutes. But um, um, character virtues are discussed across uh, education and uh, anyone worrying that um, uh, the, the, the character of a public school boy has, has altered, I'll just tell you one story. You know, the, the, the old Roxburgh quote that an independently educated schoolboy should be presentable at a dance and invaluable in a shipwreck, I think still holds true, regardless of any of the teaching and learning elements that we're talking about. I was on duty in the dining hall uh, on the first Thursday of this term. Um, we have shifted our uh, dining rotor and uh, because of a, a, a chapel obligation a brand new shell boy had found himself sitting on his own uh, at a table in the dining hall uh, looking a little vulnerable and I glanced across and said to my uh, co-don who on duty uh, that we regretted this boy and his discomfort at which point a uh, 6'2 boy got his tray sat up from his table where he was sitting with his friends walked across the dining hall very visibly and sat down in front of the shell boy and shook his hand, introduced himself and remained opposite that boy for the remainder of his dinner. Uh, uh, and then the boy left and, and he went back to his friends. Uh, it, it was one of the most uh, uplifting moments of the term for me. Um, and uh, it, it just confirmed that character is still alive and well even in the the digital age with mobile phones and um, young people kind of um, glued to them quite a lot of the time thank you simon thank you Matt. Uh, interesting as always <laughs> you're you. yes I so. um, um, we might hand back to caroline, we'll hand back to caroline. Yeah. thank you uh, thank you for everyone for listening well thank you to both of you simon and matt thanks for taking the time out to do this it was really really fascinating i think everyone will agree so thank you all for coming this evening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you for listening to this Big Thinking Talk. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us. Check our channels for the latest news and events from the Radley and Society.